Well, uh, it is so good to have Stephen Prendergast and, and uh, Ron and James with us today. Um, many of you would be familiar with the fact that uh, shortly, hopefully shortly, there will be a ministry center, Teen Challenge Ministry Center, that will open, that will help men and women, men in this case, to find freedom in places of addiction as the power of God helps them and as they begin to discover God's ability. And so this morning, we've had, we've had Stephen here um, probably about a year ago, and uh, it's great to have him back. And I was chatting a bit with James and Ron this morning. I found out that Ron and I have something in common, that he's from Newfoundland, and I'm half Newfie. I'm not sure which half, but uh, so great to have, uh, have Ron and James with us today. And uh, Stephen, why don't you come and just lead this part of our gathering? Why don't you give them a warm welcome? Stephen comes. Thank you, Pastor Clark. It is uh, so nice to be back. We were here last November 11th. It was such an honor to share with you the 100th anniversary, that Remembrance Day. And so Pastor Clark had said, would you like to come and do an update, let you know where things are standing with Teen Challenge Ottawa Valley, Teen Challenge, a faith-based drug and alcohol 12-month in-residence program. It's usually the last stop for any drug addict or alcoholic to, to go because when you're a person struggling in addictions, you always try and go the shortest route, the easiest road, the widest path. So then Pastor Clark said, Steve, instead of taking a few minutes, why don't you take the whole service because I'm very blessed to share with you the progress that we are making. And so I'm standing up here. Every time I sit down there, I'm like in my head, I always know what I'm going to talk about. And then things just went. And before I told the gentleman, Ron and James, I said, I'm going to wing it. That's the world way of saying I'm going spirit led. So I'm going to trust the Lord today that he will just bless you today because we're here. Teen Challenge is a ministry of hope. Teen Challenge is a ministry of hope, and I could sit up here and I could rhyme off a whole bunch of statistics for you, which is what I was going to do, and I just want to say that, uh, you know, a year ago when I shared my own testimony here, I, I am a Teen Challenge graduate. I am a man who has survived five drug overdoses, two suicide attempts, three serious motorcycle accidents, a car accident, and a boating accident traumatically lost a leg in one of those accidents due to drinking and driving. I could stand up here and tell you all that, but what I want to just impress upon you today is that Ron and James and myself and each and every one of you, our history is his story. Our history is his story. So what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with the gift of salvation that God gave you today? Well, when you come out of Teen Challenge... You can be very on fire for God because you're like a Christian incubator. We call it spiritual boot camp because you're getting the Lord every day for 365 days of your program. You're getting fed the word. And so we can get very on fire for the Lord. You know, and as life has gone on, uh, this first sermon I heard in Teen Challenge is God will reimburse you for your lost years with interest. Uh, 
And as I sat there, an unbeliever in this sermon in a Pentecostal church in St. Thomas, Ontario, from a Baptist bishop with a Roman Catholic caller from Georgia, delivered this message. It punched me right through my very cold, unbelieving heart. Because God will replace what the locusts have eaten. God will replace it. He will reimburse you for your lost years with interest. I thank God for a mother that never gave up on me for 20 years. She prayed for me with my late great aunt Linda faithfully for 20 years. They never gave up. I found Christ. I walked a difficult journey. Teen Challenge was the toughest but most rewarding year of my life. 61 years ago when Teen Challenge started with one center in Brooklyn, New York, now over 1,400 centers worldwide in 125 different countries. Do you think God is doing something? He's moving. 61 years ago, David Wilkerson's son wrote in his book about his father, there were no centers Like Teen Challenge at all, the only two places in the United States you could go for treatment for drugs and alcohol was in a wing of a federal prison or a wing of a psychiatric ward. Teen Challenge helped remove the stigma of how the world viewed the drug addict. The world can view them as worthless. They got themselves there. They deserve what they're getting right now. I'm so blessed to be reminded of the story of the criminal on the cross hanging beside Jesus. A man who, by rights, deserved the death penalty and as he hung there and he said to Christ, please remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus looked at him and he said, he promised him, I promise you today you will be with me in paradise. It's never too late for anyone. It's never too late for anyone. Over 4,000 people die every year to addictions. That's just drugs. That doesn't include the alcohol. Over 40,000 in Canada die to complications from alcoholism. Alcoholism is still the number one killer in the world. But fentanyl right now is killing people left and right. My prayer in Bible college, when I met my wife, we said, Lord, we will go anywhere in the world you want us to go. Here's the dangerous part about that promise to God as I said please send us where we can make the biggest impact for your kingdom so in April 2018 when I moved into my apartment at the Teen Challenge Center and looked out my window and I'm like "Woo, cottage country thank you Lord but as my research I started doing research Renfrew has a methadone clinic for people that are lined up every day to get help Methadone being an agent to to help you decrease off of opioids and fentanyl and whatever. Pembroke, Ontario has the highest per capita of people struggling with drugs and alcohol than any city in Ontario. Ottawa, our capital city, had a 32% spike in overdose deaths 
where the rest of the provincial average, 6%. And God blessed us with a property halfway between those two cities. In the past few months, there have been eight overdose deaths that I know of right here in Armprior. Two attempted murders of stabbings, people getting stabbed for drugs right here in Armprior, Ontario. So if you think outside your walls of this beautiful Glad Tidings Church that your little town is okay, don't. Because I'm shocked at just how much the fentanyl crisis is impacting your town. And as more and more research throughout the Ottawa Valley, I thank God. Isaac, I know I kind of said, you know, play it later on, but can you just key that up? And I, I want to talk a bit. Some of you might be saying, you know, Teen Challenge, well, haven't you had a sign there since 2008? Yeah. What used to be his mansions ministries, then New Connections ministries, they blessed Teen Challenge with a beautiful property, 195 acres of property, and said, hey, you know what? We tried to make a go of it to change men's lives. We just can't go. You guys have been around a long time. You know what you're doing. And, and unfortunately, our leadership made a promise that, she, that they couldn't keep is that we, we, we put a sign up. We're going to open in 2009. A recession hit 2009, 2010, which crippled our ministry. I knew about this program. This place was donated when I was in Teen Challenge London, Ontario. And so I learned as I was coming up here with Dan Murray, our former CEO, he said, Steve, what had happened was We'd expanded across Canada. We have five men's centers, now three women's centers, but we'd expanded across Canada too quickly. When Ottawa was blessed to us, we had, not, we had no finances to do anything with it, and then the recession hit, crippling us. And our executive board, we're Teen Challenge Incorporated. We have a board of directors that stated, we are mandated, we will not go into debt to start a program anymore. Yes, Teen Challenge was great. David Wilkerson used to say, what's it going to cost? 30 million, Dave. Go for it. God will provide. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. But we, as Teen Challenge Canada, stated this is donor's money. We want to be frugal with it. When we open Ottawa Valley Teen Challenge, we don't want the threat of us closing our doors because that's costing people their lives. So we will not do that. So I was sent up here. God is going to use this property, man, dude to reimburse men with interest and get their lives back. They're going to find salvation. They're going to find certified addictions counselors. About 48 to 50 hours worth of one-on-one -on -one counseling and the same in group counseling, education, work therapy. They're going to get it at this beautiful property. This is the property pre-construction, pre-renovations. Okay. I just want to be clear on that. We're going to have 16 beds for regular program men and then four phase fours. We're licensed for 20 beds. I don't think since being up here, we're going to have a problem filling our center when we get up to maximum capacity. So when I was faced with $1.6 million to raise, I'm like, I'm used to standing on a stage going, would you sponsor a student for $40 a month? Well, I got doing the math and thinking, 
But you know something God has had to remind me twice last year? Steve, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills? I said, you do, Lord. When are you going to get out of the boat and walk on the water with me? He'd tell me. When are you going to have a little bit more faith? And then there's times where I've, I have worked with up to 70 individuals and families since being here. Just because our doors aren't open does not mean we're not serving Eastern Ontario. I've had people in my office. I'm proud to say one of those young ladies are here today. I'm not going to point her out to save any embarrassment. She's here today, but we talked for two hours in my office. She found Christ in a prison in Florida. And she's on fire for the Lord right now, but she got there, her life, because of drugs and alcohol. God's going to reimburse her for her lost years with interest. But just because our doors aren't open does not mean we're not here to serve, that we're not here to network with you, that we're not here to reach out. When you walk past the person downtown that's all skinny and scratching themselves and you think, oh, what a waste. You know something? There's been times where I've sat across from someone and I'm going, this guy is just not going to get it. And the Holy Spirit has had to give me a smack on the back of the head and say, where did I pull you from? And I get humbled very quickly because I was on the verge of death. God is going to do great things with Teen Challenge Ottawa Valley and we're here to network with you guys. Please pray for a ministry that is fighting a battle those eight deaths in the past four months here in Arm Prior were unnecessary. But it's happening every day. Every two hours, someone dies from fentanyl overdose in Canada. It's very real. Addiction has impacted me to the core. Have I had reimbursements? You betcha. I have a bachelor's degree now in youth ministry and counseling. I'm trained through the CACCF as an addictions counselor. Met a beautiful wife at Bible college, have a three and a half year old son, and I'm proud to say that little Kate and Michael was born on September 10th last month. Showed up a little early, wrecking my motorcycle trip to Port Dover Friday the 13th, but I'll take it. My 25-year-old follows the Lord. My grandchildren, they're following the Lord. But my oldest, who just turned 30 on October 7th, is a full-fledged fentanyl addict and prostituting herself. I went to the streets of London to try and find my daughter. A couple weeks ago, a friend of mine came with me. I walked into buildings. I thought I'd been in low places. These buildings should be condemned. Rats, mice, infest this building, cockroaches all over. I was shocked that this is where my daughter was staying for a while. I did not find my daughter. But I will never give up because God's got something special for her. My mother never gave up on me. I will not give up on my daughter. We have found victory through Jesus Christ through this ministry. He used this ministry as a vessel to give us our lives back. So I want to introduce to you first, we have now phase fours, we call them. James and Ron, graduates of the Teen Challenge program, have moved into our Teen Challenge Center, into this house here to live and to help me. God has sent me more helpers because the work can be overwhelming and Satan likes to get in my head and say, you're never going to get open. 
And I have to just say, get behind me, Satan. I'm going to get out of the boat and walk on the water with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he's going to take me places I never thought I would ever be. So Ron, please come up right now. Give Ron a hand, folks. And he is going to share his story. God bless you, my brother. Well said, my friend. Well said. My name is Ron. I'm from a beautiful uh, province in Newfoundland, uh, Stephenville on the West Coast. I was blessed with an awesome family, my mom and dad, four lovely sisters. And I have a daughter that is 24 years of age, and I'll be speaking about her as well. I'd like to talk to you about, about my past, my present, and my future, and where I came from, where I'm at, and where I'm going. And it's only because of our Lord Jesus and my Savior, my strength, my, he's the one that's bringing me to where I am. I could not do it by myself. I was a sick man. But here's my story. Raised as a Catholic, went to church every Sunday, three times Christmas, three times Easter. It was great. I believed in God since I can remember. And like I said, I was an active member in the church. At the age of 13, I got an interest in Taekwondo, it's a martial art, and bodybuilding. I got my black belt at 22 years of age, and at 25, I started getting into competitive bodybuilding. With that came along the use of anabolic steroids. Anabolic steroids are a nasty drug. It don't give you any euphoric behavior like heroin or fentanyl, any of these drugs, but it makes you a savage, it makes you a really mean man. And that's what I want to talk to you about, what it did to me, what it did to my family, what it did to my friends, what it did to our Lord Jesus, him seeing me going through what I went through. So I want to explain to you what he did for me, and he's continuing to do it. He's molding my heart like I never experienced before in my life. I love him so much. He's, he's awesome. I love him. I love him. So I got into the steroid scene. My doctor, that was back in 88, actually in 85, before the Ben Johnson scandal in the Olympics with steroids. And it was no problem to get steroids from your doctor. You just had to educate him a little bit on it, do some blood work and blood tests, and he took care of me. So every week I'd go in there and get my injections, and right away, from the first day one that I got injected with steroids, I felt a different feeling that, that I never, I, you feel so like, like a he-man, you know, and men like to feel that way, like, you know, we're hunters, we're, we're, we're killers, so in, in, in a line of hunting and so forth, so we like that aggression, we like that strongness. So anyway, I started fighting, and now I'm a black belt in Taekwondo as well. I was, I'm a good fighter, I was on steroids, I became a monster, and it just took over my life so, so much. I went to see my doctor one time, and he said, Ron, if you're going to keep on doing anabolic steroids, he said, you're going to have to take this medication because it's going to help you calm you down. That medication was Valium. That's in the field, the family of benzodiazepines, and they're very addictive, very, I'm sure you heard of Valium, Ativan, Xanax, these medications. They're very dependent. So that, came, that became my 30-year trip. On, on benzos, and I was taking them by the hands full, by the handfuls. I, I had three or four doctors up in Ottawa because I lived there for a while, and I just be taking med these benzodiazepines like just like candy, and it was awful. I was I was so distraught and just out of life, out of life. 
So then I kept it up. Then I went to the bars and I started drinking. And of course, drinking and the, the steroids, the benzos, the marijuana, and pretty well anything I can get my hands on, I ingested. And I be, just became a crazy guy. I, they didn't help me at all, those Valium. They just made it worse for me. So I heard, I had a good government job. I had a, my family was all there. I had a nice place, nice house and that. And I heard that there was a petition going around town to get me out. People want me out of the town, because if I went to a party, if I went to a bar, it'd be a fight. It'd be a, it'd be a nasty, not a fight, it'd be one smack kind of thing, and it was over. Being a black belt, you know, you don't go out fighting, picking fights and everything. That's not part of the, that's not part of the schedule. You don't do that. And I was, you know, a small town of 10,000 people. I was teaching a lot of people Taekwondo. And at the same time, on the weekend, I'd go up and beat the face off somebody. Now, I'm telling you these stories because I want to let you know where I came from with these drugs and what the consequences was of them. So I ended up leaving Stephenville. I moved up to Ottawa. Pretty well immediately, I got a job with this health club. And it was the kind of health club where all the strippers used to go, the drug dealers. You, had, you almost had to be in shape to go in there. It was that kind of health club. So... I got, I got a name pretty, I got in my name and started getting around. I started competing. I started doing well in the competitions. So the steroid dealer, he came up to me and he said, Ronnie, he said, wouldn't you sell some steroids for me? So now that's ideal. I'm a drug addict and I wanted good steroids. So this was giving me an opportunity to do that, to take these drugs and to sell them and get to have the best of the best and, and get somebody else to sell them for me. So I never, I never had to do the dirty work. But of course, a deal went wrong. The drug dealer became after me. He wanted to do nasty things to me. I got scared, and I didn't know what to do. So just to go back to the bodybuilding, I, I want to let you know how empty I was on the inside. I, I just won Mr. Ottawa a competition back in 95, and I had this perfect body, as per se, for that night, okay? I had this nice physique that won the show. A few days later, on a Tuesday morning, I was on the metro, and there was a guy across the way from me. It was about 35 degrees outside. There was a guy across the way from me. He was a homeless person, you could tell that. He had dreadlocks and he's dirty, his face was weathered. You could really tell that he was worn. And I noticed from his knees down in particular, he had knickers on, they were just below his knee, and he, his legs were all worn from the sun, like I said, he had no sneak, he had, he had no socks on, his laces were out of his shoes, and you know what I said? And now, remember, my career was at its peak. I had all these women, all these guys wanting me, I had, I had a waiting list for my career, it was booming. And I said on that day, I wish I was in his shoes. That's how empty. I had nothing inside here. Now God is filling my heart. He's molding my heart. I got such unfailing, perfect, endless love from him. It's overflown. Now I can give it to others. Before, I was a mean, nasty guy. Anybody could have told you that that knew me back then. I was a mean man. And now people say they can't see that part in me. And that's not me. I couldn't do nothing about it. I was too sick. But the Lord did it. He softened my heart, and he's continuing to mold my heart. I love him so much. I, I, 
he's my life. He's, he's, he's what I get up for in the morning. When I was in Ottawa, I'm going, to show, I'm going to tell you a story now that's going to lead to something that happened with my daughter. And it's sad. It's sad. So, you know, before I had the me syndrome, me, 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 it was all about me. I didn't really care too much about anybody. Family, friends, it was about me. I needed my fix. I needed my thing. It was about me. So one time we were in the parking lot and I did something foolish. This guy came around me and put his middle finger up to me. Now, being on steroids and all kinds of other drugs, all kinds of prescription medication, I, I, went, I went from zero to crazy instantly. My daughter was in the back seat. My fiance was in the front seat. I raced to the road chasing him. And unfortunately for him, the light turned red. I got out of my car, walked up to him, and he could see me in his mirror. And I was, I was, I'm 5'9". I'm, I was 250 pounds with about 10% body fat. That's a big man. In the gym, they used to call me a pit bull. Because when I trained, if you went around my gym, if you went around one of my machines that I was using, I'd almost growl at you. I wouldn't have to. I'd just look at you and you'd leave. That's the intimidation I had. So this guy, I went up to him and he started rolling up his window. Now that just got me worse. So I'm sure I was frotting from the mouth like a, like a, like a pit bull. And when I got up to his, his window, I, was, I just drove my fist right through his window. It all collapsed. I hauled him out of his car. By that time, the light turned green. My daughter and my fiancé were screeching to me, Daddy, Daddy, stop. Ron, stop. You can't do this. You can't keep doing this. Because this is not the first time. I, this, this, this is a way of life for me. And I took him and I threw him across the bottom of his car, he fell to the other side, the car started going, the light was green. I got back in my car, I don't know how yet to this day that I got away with that. I don't know. A week later, I went to get my daughter to pick her up. She's 24 years old now. She's a beautiful young girl. <laughs> She's, she's gorgeous. She's beautiful from the inside out. And I had a good relationship. Well, how can I say I had a good relationship with her? I had a relationship with her. But being as nasty as I was, there was she was scared. So, you know, I went at 12, when she was 12 years old, 12 years ago, I went to pick her up. And you know what she said to me? My little girl. My only child. She said, Daddy, I need a break. Now, just think about what, not just about that, but just think about what that little girl was building up to, building up to each time she seen me. That broke my heart. So I had a drug dealer after me. I, my daughter didn't want to have anything to do with me. I decided to move to Montreal. I moved to Montreal. I was with a lady. That didn't work out. Six months after, we were split up because I was a mess. I ended up living on the streets. I was in um, a homeless shelter, and there was a, a place for 100 guys, the bunk beds and everything, and it was, you know, it was about the size of a room, and there'd be guys crying and screeching and gas, and it was, it was, it was unbelievable what you had to... One morning I woke up, and it was breakfast time, and everybody was gone, and there was one guy left right next to me. The beds were really close to each other. 
And I went to move the guy to get him to go, to get him to come up for breakfast. He was dead. I was burnt out as it was. I, was, I had so many bottoms. I don't know where my, what bottom was what. It was just like I had bottoms and bottoms and just repetitions on bottoms. I became a bottom perfectionist. And I, when, I, when I went down, when I went down, I just couldn't fathom it anymore. I, I went, I called my mom and dad. I thought I burnt all my bridges with them, like I, like I did with most people. But I called and I told dad, I started crying on the phone. I broke down, I couldn't, I couldn't handle it no more. And dad said to me, come home. I went home, I was, in, I was living with mom and dad. This is not that long ago, this is 2011. So I wasn't 15 years old. I was in my 40s. So, uh, you know, this, 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 is, this was going on for a long, long time. That's why my story is going to be a little bit longer because um, I'm only supposed to be about seven to ten minutes, so I might go over a little bit. But it's, it's 50, 58 years ahead of this. I lived this for all these years. You know, uh, and... When I got home, I went to a psychiatrist, and he had me on whole, all kinds of medication. I went, I, you know, I, I'm not going to get into, I think you got an idea where I come from. I'm not going to get into all these war stories. I, I, I spent a bit of time in AA for a period. It didn't do much for me. All I seen there, personally, it's a wonderful program. What I seen was men that were sober, and they never changed their lives. I wasn't interested in that. I wanted a change in my life. And that's what Teen Challenge did for me. That's what the Lord did for me. And he introduced Teen Challenge to me. And I can go on with all the war stories, but no. This is a, this is a success story. And I want, I want to tell you guys what the Lord is doing in my heart. I can go on and on. I could, I could spend hours here just talking. I spent time on the streets in Montreal, only back in 2011. I had a nervous breakdown, and I spent six weeks in a psychiatric ward. Every one of those are a story. But I think you get the jits of it. It was a rough life. And I didn't, hurt, I didn't, I didn't just hurt myself, because I was too into it. I didn't realize how messed up I was. But what I did to my family, my mom and dad, they were behind me the whole time. My four beautiful sisters, you know, my daughter, she couldn't take it no more. She was watching me going down the drain, and she couldn't take it no more. It was too hard on her. And she's just a little girl, 12 years old. In Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, it says, one of my favorite verses, Trust in the Lord with all our hearts, and lean not on your own intentions. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. That helped me so much before I came to Teen Challenge. A buddy of mine told me about Teen Challenge when I was home on Mother's Day 2018. I came in. Soon I, was, I, I'm, I come from the Moncton, Moncton, New Brunswick Teen Challenge. It's an old monastery that was built in 1958, the same year Teen Challenge came to a head. And I walked in there, and I felt the Holy Spirit from day one. And it just went up and up and up, and it just continues. I hope I can touch somebody here. I hope I can plant a mustard seed 
so that somebody can take something away with them. Maybe it's not you. Maybe it's one of your family or friends or so forth. But maybe you can say, listen, I heard this guy, and he was speaking about this place, Teen Challenge, and it changed his life. And it did change my life. And it's not finished yet. I'm only getting introduced to it. I love Teen Challenge. It's a way of life. It's a lifestyle for me. People ask me, what are you going to do in the future? You know what I say to them? I know some of you older folks will remember this. You know that song, My Future's So Bright, I Gotta Wear Shades? That was from, a, I think it was a guy, Gino Vanelli or somebody from Montreal, I'm not sure. But it's just nice to be here. Uh, I love you all. And you know what? Our Lord is happy. He's here now. You know he's here. I can feel his presence. And he's saying, look at all my children. They came here for a common reason. They're all here to... to, to to share the word, share their love, be kind to each other. And when we leave here, we can't stop. We want to go out and we want to spread. I want people to see, my, see what I, I'm not going to go around saying, here, buy a Bible. Well, here's a Bible, here's a book. I want people to see through my actions the kind of person I am. I'm hoping that through Facebook, some of you might not fa fancy it, but through Facebook, people are going to see that I've changed. And I am a child of God. Jeremiah 29.11, it talks about, I have a plan for you, declared the Lord. Plans to prosper you and give you hope, you know, to, to have a good life, to live life to the fullest with abundance. I'm going to stop now. But you know what, I love you guys so much because that's what I have, I'm full of now. And to be where I was, and to have what I have now is such a wonderful feeling. I'm so blessed to be here, up front here, talking to you, not in a pine box six feet under. I'm so happy to be here. God bless you all. I love you. So my next phase four, I'm honored to say that I met him a year ago at this time when we brought our London choir up. And as I met James, he's going to share his story, but I was shocked when, kind of shocked, but, but he says, yeah, I'm not sure where, where this God thing stands. I'm spiritual, but I watched part of his journey, a small part of his journey, but a huge part of his journey, and he's going to come up right now. James, come on up and Share your story with these people, brother. I'm very happy that you're here with me on board, and God bless you, brother. Thank you. Hey, um, so, I mean, I guess you could figure out from what Steve said that uh, I do not come from a Christian home. I was not raised a Christian. I thought all of you people were crazy. But, uh, but uh, let me tell you a little, a little story about uh, how, how God changed my life. Um, so... I was born to a good family by the world standards, you know, I was never hungry or cold, I was never, uh, never wanted anything really, you know, I, I was spoiled rotten, never really appreciated it, but uh, we moved around a lot, so by the time I was in grade nine, I'd been to six different schools in two different countries. Along the way, I lost a sister to stillbirth and I got abused at a camp by another camper when I was nine years old. Then my sister Heather was born when I was uh, just about to turn ten. And all of a sudden, even my family didn't have time for him anymore. 
I was always the new kid, never felt like I fit in anywhere, you know, and uh, I just wasn't, wasn't happy. I was a broken child. But then I found alcohol. I was, I don't know, 12 years old the first time I had a drink, and I fell in love with it. I'd finally found a way to not care about all the problems. I'd found a way to fit in, get to all the parties. And so I hit high school, eager to try anything I could get my hands on. I spent the next 14 years caught up in active addiction, using anything I could get. Uh, my drug of choice was more, just more of whatever you could give me. Right? Uh, didn't really care what was coming my way as long as there was more of it. I'd been roofing to uh, support my habits with some pretty dangerous people, uh, the kind of people you don't want to owe money to and uh, partying my way through, through, through life, right? By the time I was legally an adult, I knew more than one person who was dead or in prison for either murder or drug charges or just drug overdoses, whatever, you know? I, I know too many dead people now. But uh, when I was about to turn 21, things were a little bit too real. And so I moved out to Pembroke to get away from it all, the, uh, you know, addiction capital of Ontario. Great choice, eh? So I moved out there for college. I spent the next few years living my dream. I was teaching kids how to climb and guiding canoe trips in Algonquin Park and up in Papineau Belle. And I was internationally certified as a whitewater raft guide. I was paddling between here and Mexico. I didn't have to get cold in the winter. I had a dream job by, by the world standards. But I still had this emptiness that I filled with alcohol. I wasn't using drugs at the time. Well, illicit drugs anyway. So I thought everything was okay, but legal doesn't mean okay. So uh, anyway, I spent eight months living in a tent at one point between here and Halcamuco, Veracruz, down in Mexico. Got to paddle off a 30-foot waterfall in the Mexican jungle, but I drank all my money away on, uh, on that trip. Came back to mom and dad's with nothing. I was very quickly working dead-end jobs again with dead-end friends, using dead-end drugs to numb the pain that I felt from having lost everything. I, I lost it all. I went back to working in restaurants after I couldn't stay on the roof anymore. And next thing I knew, I was back in the drugs. Uh, I, my drugs of choice then kind of narrowed a little bit. I needed things that helped me escape. And that's when I found fentanyl. I very quickly lost my house, my job, my car, my friends, my family, everything I ever owned, everybody I ever loved. I found myself homeless in Ottawa. All of my stuff that was worth anything was sitting in a pawn shop. All my guitars, all my mom's gold. I put a $6,000 gold and diamond tennis bracelet in the pawn shop for 250 bucks so I could buy a half a fentanyl patch, a 40 piece of rock cocaine, and a pack of cigarettes to get through the night. I had to look my mom in the face on the way to treatment and tell her that all of her stuff was sitting in a pawn shop. And if she wanted it back, she had to pay for it because I didn't have any money. Right? But that, that was, comes a little bit later. So I, I found myself homeless and tried for the umpteenth time to kill myself. I bought enough fentanyl to kill almost everybody in this room and went to work one night hoping to not wake up. I'd gotten myself into a friend's place on the promise of a quick fix. And I woke up and started crying, and he asked what was wrong, and I said I wasn't supposed to be here. I wasn't supposed to wake up that time. And uh, that's when I believe God stepped into my life and said no more, because I, I should be dead. So a friend of mine, Taylor, came back into my life and begged me for months to get help. I kept telling him, no, I need another month. i got to get everything out of the pawn shop. I could always make just enough to keep it there so they wouldn't sell it. But, uh, but I had to get everything out. And he looked at me one night and said, do you think you got another month? 
I said no, so I checked into detox the next day. From there, it's usually you know, six months-ish to get into a program covered by OHIP. It took me two weeks, and while I was in that program, I met a graduate of the Teen Challenge program. Now, I knew that the 30-day center I was at was not enough. It wasn't going to be enough. I needed more time. So I, uh, I, I decided, you know, screw it. Uh, this seems like an option. It's like, I looked at him the first time he mentioned it, and I said, if, if you think I'm going to Jesus camp for a year, you're crazy. Right? But I didn't have any other options, and so I went. I showed up there broken, thinking everybody was crazy, but I saw things that I wanted. And I'd heard at an NA meeting once uh, to surround yourself with people who have the things that you want and do the things that they do. So I started praying because I saw this happiness, this joy, this sense of acceptance. They knew where they belonged. They knew where they fit in. They had friends. They had, you know, people that they could call brother honestly. Right? I walked into the chapel one night and I found people praying for me. It was the first time I ever caught somebody talking good behind my back. <laughs> and so I saw all of these things and I started praying for things I thought were impossible, you know. But uh, we know that with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. That's read out of the book of Matthew. And uh, so, like I said, I was praying for, for things I thought were impossible. My family back in my life, my friends to be alive. We were all using fentanyl. There's two ways out of that. You recover or you die, and you better make your mind up quick. And some kind of future, because I couldn't see any. Everything looked bleak to me. And I watched it all come true. Now, if you told me a year and a half ago that I'd be singing with a Christian choir... I, I would have probably asked you for your drugs, but, uh, but the choir meant extra coffee and no work on Wednesday, and so I joined up, just on time to take a tour to the Ottawa Valley from London to spread a message of hope in the areas where I had lost all of mine. And it was on that tour we walked into our first outreach, and my family was there, sitting in the congregation, three rows from the front dead center. You know, they came to five of our nine outreaches over the course of the eight days we were in the Ottawa Valley. We're tighter now than we've ever been. I spent a month or two back home after this summer, right? It, it was, it's amazing. I found out that night that most of my friends were not only alive, but, but doing pretty well. They heard that I had some recovery time, that things were going good for me, and they decided to get help. Now, some of them have fallen since, but at that moment in time, right then, they were doing well, and that's what mattered. And I realized that if I can use my experience to reach out to and help even one person, then the 14 years I spent using were not wasted. They were not meaningless. They were indispensable experience that can be used to relate to somebody else who needs God's help. Right? And... Uh, <laughs> And so I went back to, uh, we were staying up at Camp Galilee. The uh, owners there let us uh, stay for a few days on our tour. And that's the night that I looked at Steve and I looked at Jim, our choir director, and I said, I think I just had one of those aha moments you crazy Christians talk about. <laughs> and uh, that, that night I accepted Christ into my life. It was almost a year ago to the day, a little over a year ago. I was baptized on 420 this year, which was a new way to spend that day, April 20th, and, uh, you know, my life has never been the same. I, uh, I became a leader back at the center. I became somebody people can turn to for help. I came in there broken, and by the time I left, people were asking advice. I was the captain in our dorm. I left there. I spent the summer counseling at Camp Galilee, <laughs> and I couldn't help but smile every time I remembered looking at my buddy Rob and saying, if you think I'm going to Jesus camp for a year, you're nuts. 
This, this, it's an incredible opportunity. So phase four, I don't know if you really know what that is, but it's like an internship position. It's technically still a program. But I have the opportunity now to give back a little bit to the ministry that led me to, to, to life, right? I, I, Teen Challenge helped me find God, and God didn't give me my life back. He gave me a life worth living. And then I didn't know what that was like before. So anyway, th thanks for listening. God bless you. Victory, hope. I hope you were blessed today. I just want to ask you to please pray because that's something I know each and every one of you can do is pray for a ministry that is fighting a battle in your own backyard. We want to, to be an asset to Pastor Clark and the ministerial staff and each and every one of you here. If you are struggling with an addiction or you know someone who is, Let's start a journey and believe that God is going to do something today. Let's trust that he's already working in that situation already. We want to be an asset to your church, your community. We want to partner and network with you in whatever way possible. If you can, if you can financially bless us, bless your heart. We have... Sponsorships, you can sponsor our center for any amount you feel led to do. $10, $20 a month, $100 a month, whatever it is. If the Holy Spirit is talking to you today, please come and see us at the table and, and partner with us. If you ever want to get together for a group and come and physically tour our center, see the completed offices that are built onto our building. The renovations are almost done. We do tours so if you want to get a group, we'll, hey, we'll, we'll even throw a barbecue on. Make an afternoon of it. Walk the property. We'll show, show and share our vision because God is going to use that center to give mothers their sons back, to give children their dads back, and to give wives their husbands back. Salvation is going to come to many men through this property. I believe it with every ounce of my soul. I wish we were open yesterday, but I trust God's timing. Again, because our doors aren't open does not mean we cannot serve you. I'm so blessed to have Ron and James here. Were you blessed by their stories? I'm so blessed to have them here. Thank you, Pastor Clark. You know, we, we had our first successful golf tournament and our first freedom ride, motorcycle ride. Your church brought in the most uh, sponsors for the golf tournament. They even won the whole thing. They, they just cleaned up. Pastor Clark and the, Pastor Yeshua and Rachel, they cleaned up. So if you want to join them again this coming, uh, I think it's June 22nd, please come out to the Oaks of Cobden. We had a blast and uh, we want to do that again. And uh, if you ride motorcycles next year, you know, uh, keep July 11th open because we're, we're going to do our second Freedom Ride. So those are fundraisers that we do. We're always looking for ways to fundraise. I'm sorry we have gone over by a wee bit here of the time allotted. So please get, grant us the grace. But come and see us at the table. And again, if you are struggling, you know someone who is, we want to pray with you today. Okay, so uh, Pastor Clark, thank you so much, folks, for, uh, for having us come in. I hope you've been blessed.
I hope you received a little bit of hope. Thank you very much. God bless you. We just want to pray for, uh, for Stephen and for Ron and James. Thank you for being so uh, open and for giving glory to God for what he's done. And when you say we cleaned up, it meant we got the highest score at that golf tournament. I'm not sure if that's the goal or not, but uh, let's stand. Can we stand? This has been um, such an encouraging, God-glorifying morning. And uh, I encourage you to pray about how you can invest into this ministry that really is changing lives. And James and Ron have shared that. But we want to just pray for Stephen and for, um, for the ministry and uh, for Ron and James. Can, can we just have a couple men just come and just stand beside them? Can you do that just quickly? That'd be great. And then we're, we're just going to close in prayer. We're going to invite you to stop by the table. If you need prayer this morning, we will pray for you uh, when we've closed.